Hey, friendly reminder, this podcast is not for kids or people who have a stick up their ass. Friday, 5.58 p.m. I'm sleeping with my best friend's husband. I think my uncle killed someone in I his think suicide. I am I a sugar baby. Mom addicted to Adderall. I think I my sister is my actually my uncle's kid. My What's your secret? Welcome back to Beyond the Secret. I am Ace Fanning, and this is part two of an episode. So if you haven't yet listened to part one, this would be a really dumb place to start. I need to apparently clarify something because someone didn't like the title of this episode, but this is not a traditional boarding school. This is a therapeutic reform school or boarding school or whatever the fuck you want to call it. This listener had a great experience with her boarding school, yada, yada, yada. But if I'm being honest, the title, I spent grades 6 to 12 in therapeutic boarding schools and also wilderness programs and eventually got kicked out because my mom ran out of money, is not exactly the catchiest title. So it is what it is. Uh To all the boarding school girls out there, I apologize. Please do not get your uniforms in a bunch. We hear you. Therapeutic reform schools. Now, before we get back to the story, I just want to remind you of where we are at. This girl has just graduated from her wilderness program, which is essentially organized child abuse out in the middle of the Utah desert, She returns back to Copper Canyon Academy where she stays for another year before she decides she doesn't want to work the program anymore because she is just done playing the game. And if I'm honest, I don't blame her. So here is part two of A Life of Boarding School. So is that how you eventually got kicked out of Copper Canyon? Yes. They're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. And they weren't even going to tell me. A staff member took me in the back of my house. Like there was a shed with like tools and stuff. So she could get me away from everyone. And she's like, hey, just so you know, they're taking you tomorrow. People are coming in the morning and they're taking you to a school in Utah. She's like, you mean so much to me. And I did all that I could to vouch for you and keep you here. But they made the decision today. There was nothing I could do. I contemplated running away, but I knew better at that point. Like I had conducted many escapes, if you will, prior, like, and one girl got away for two weeks and then she came right back. Like there was, I could do nothing. I just had to sit there and let them take me the next day. How bad is a place that 15, 16 year old girls are willing to run away and I mean, you're not stupid. You you don't – it's not like you could run home. It's not like you know where – you were in Arizona. It's not like you knew – and you lived in California. It's not like you knew anyone or anything around. So you're most likely going to run away and be homeless, become mm-hmm. – get picked up by somebody and murdered and raped. And that and happened. Died. Well, they didn't get murdered, but they got picked up. People got picked up. 
I ask you this only because you're in Arizona as well, but do you know where Camp Birdie and Rimrock are? Have you ever heard of those places? No, they sound like outdoorsy campy places. <laughs> well, that's where the schools were. It's like between, it's right before Sedona. Okay. But like past Cottonwood and Prescott. Literally hole in the wall, hillbilly, like probably the one place to get picked up and like turn into a slave and a crackhead. That's where these schools were because they knew if we ran away, there was nowhere for us to go. Oh, wow. I just opened, I just Googled it, and the house is really pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now it's known as Sedona Sky. Yeah. It came up, yeah. though, under Copper Canyon Academy. Yes. The house featured, I believe. Well, I don't know. I was in both of the big houses. I love to, like, you know, they totally bring a photographer in, and they're like, all right, 100%. get in some of your, they're probably not even girls who actually go there. It's like, oh, um, let's get the girls smiling and laughing. And they're like, if you don't do it, you're going to get more work hours, you little <laughs> They didn't like Dr. Phil's photos anymore. Yeah, let's talk about Dr. Phil. Was this at Copper okay. Canyon? It was. Okay. And this was actually, I know I'm backtracking. That's so okay. I apologize, I just forgot. Before I went to Wilderness. So when I was still in, it was called Willow House. When I was still in Willow House, um, we woke up and we were normally like you wake up, you do your chores, you get ready, and then you all line up and you go to breakfast. Like you have to walk to the cafeteria for breakfast. Our breakfast was postponed like over an hour. And it was because Dr. Phil and his camera crew were there dropping off a student. So this girl, I don't quite remember her story. I remember police were involved, but, um, she was from the East Coast, and her family, like, got Dr. Phil involved to find her, and once she was found, she was brought onto the show, and he said, basically, I found this place with your parents, and you're going to go to it, so they did the whole fly to Arizona, and they did a tour of the campus, and filmed them dropping her off and her reactions and whatever they filmed. To this day, like, I still haven't watched the episode. Like I said, as once I was out, I kind of blocked everything. Like I never wanted to go back there again. And then like six months later, they did an update, but we were all in school. So we just stayed in our classrooms. They only wanted that one girl. So there's a whole thing about it. And then what? She got to leave and go home with her family. She actually ended up graduating the program and going home. But I guess that's part of, I wonder if they got paid for it because Dr. Phil can't not have a success story. Yeah. Well, and then too, I mean, I wonder how much business that brought to the school. Oh, like. totally. Definitely. That's, everybody made money off of that. They didn't need us little people anymore. Let me ask you this. Because I'm thinking about this and I'm like, anytime I hear something like this, I think, it makes you want to go out and start your own reform school or whatever it is. Okay, let me clarify here really quick because it's not – this is the first time that I've heard about a reform school. But what I mean is that any time you hear about a business that it should be helping people and it's doing harm, that's what I mean. In this case, it happens to be a reform school. But you want to make it good and you want to make it better and you want to make sure it's actually helping kids. Like, 
what would have helped you in that time? Like what, if you were to start your own school, what do you think that it is that you really needed? Isolation is never going to help anyone. Yeah. Like there's a reason solitary confinement is not a good thing. And we, we can get into that at another school. But even for adults, let alone children who don't know how to regulate their thoughts and emotions and are being pumped with these, these medications and going through these therapy sessions such as EMDR, which is like a hypnosis, which was done to me. Um, and I, I struggled with that because you're literally taking these children who didn't know how to regulate their life experiences and navigate prior to these schools, but did whatever they could to numb the effects. And then you put them in these therapy sessions where they have to go back to it, whether it be through journaling or communicating or hypnosis therapy, where mentally you're back in that situation. You physically feel like you're there. And then you just send them off to their room where if they're on level one or if they're on staff buddy, they're not allowed to talk to anyone about it. So they have to battle with it internally again. I feel like the length of time is also a problem. Yeah. No kid wants to, their attention span is not 12 months long. No, like I think it should be like, you know, we're going to come, we're going to try and teach you coping mechanisms. We're going to teach you, you know, some maybe anger management. They, we're going to get they you off did drugs. That. They did that. But again, their coping skills are like, okay, when you, for me specifically, when you feel like cutting yourself, I'm going to give you this rubber band. Just snap your wrist. That doesn't work. I've done that. It doesn't work. Also, you're still harming yourself. Just because no blood is drawn doesn't mean you're not doing anything. And all I think that the rubber band does is it, it desensitizes you to the pain. So then, you know, mm -hmm. when you first start it, you snap it one time, you're like, ow, that, that hurt. But then the second time, it doesn't hurt so bad. And then, like, I remember when I would self-harm, I used to sit there and I would snap that thing, like, 20 times in a row and I never felt anything. See? It, you're just going – unless you work on the actual issues, which they tried. They did. Those of us that have those numbing outlets – we'll just find something else. Like, yeah, someone could choose heroin, but if you take the heroin, it's not like they're going to be cured forever. They're just going to find something else. So those of us that did self-harm, okay, you take away whatever we were physically using and you give us something else. We're just going to use that as a way to numb as well. Until well, you deal with the underlying issue. And I want and to say too, is like, if you're not dealing with the, actual issue it's still going to come out so in my case when I was cutting and when my parents found out about it and I you know people were watching me more closely you could still tell that I had this overwhelming anxiety because I would scratch my arms just I think at the time I just thought I was itchy um I would scratch my arms so bad that I, cause I used to wear long sleeves because I would cut that my long sleeves had holes in them, like all over my arms because I was just scratching so hard. Um, and then 
I got to a point and I still do this now. And I think it's just, it's, if I get nervous or something like that, I will randomly pull hair out of my head. And it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not purposely trying to harm myself or anything like that, but it, there's still issues. It manifests in, my... in other ways. Yes. Yeah. Like my anxiety for me now as an adult, it appears as hives. Mm-hmm. So I scratch and I scratch and I scratch and I've had like black and blue bruises and it's not a self-harming thing. Like you said, it's just, it's the anxiety. Yeah. And we, what we need to be teaching people is how to, when the anxiety comes on, not allow it to completely take over and how to deal with it and how to process it. So that way we can get rid of it. Yes. Yes. One thing that I've learned is when emotions come up, whether it be anxiety or depression or feeling lonely, don't avoid them. Like, yes, I have my go-tos, whether it's to this day, it's still crocheting for my anxiety. Um, Or like go on a walk or have a phone call with someone, but it's still there. Like you have to feel it in order to move past it Mm -hmm. instead of the like, harming yourself or the drugs or the alcohol to avoid it. In boarding schools, I was a big journal journaler. I journaled a lot. I don't mm. know how to say that. But as an adult, like one time my ex-husband uh, read my journal. So that like ruined it for me. Yeah. But then I shut down for many years. And like, as I began to learn myself again and grow and become healthy like outside of that toxic relationship I had I have so much to say and as an adult like we don't know especially as a mother like I don't have the mental capacity to just focus on a journal Mm -hmm. so I tried typing it all out but my brain goes so quickly my anxiety my emotions my thought process is so quick I just need to say it otherwise it's it's going to stay inside I I 100% know that exactly. I do like to write. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's easier for me to express myself in writing, but especially if there's an anxiousness around it, it's just yeah, that's it's too slow. Like no, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Okay, so, so you eventually get kicked out of Copper, Copper Canyon, Canyon completely after you did your wilderness. You came back. You get kicked out again, and then they take you to Utah. Yes, Syracuse, Utah. Um, I went to a school called Island View Academy. It was more lax in the way of I got to wear my own clothes. There were still levels. I know. There were still levels, but they were identified by bracelets. So, like, to be completely honest, especially this school, I blocked a lot of stuff out. I don't remember, like, each specific color to each level, but there was like an orange and a yellow and a maroon and a neon green. At that school, it wasn't like certain levels were not allowed to talk to one another. So you could talk to whoever. You weren't allowed to disclose your last name to anyone. It was a lockdown facility. So every single door was locked. You had to have a staff member open it, like in order to leave your wing. It looked similar to a hospital where like, and it was called teams. We didn't have houses. We had teams. So I was on copper team. 
and think of like a hallway the length of like two or three football fields and they were sectioned off by big doors big double doors that were locked and in this section was this team and then they had their common room which was blocked off and on the other side of their common room was another team and then they had their own common room and then there was the lobby and like you could literally stand at one end of the hallway and see four teams straight down all separated by locked doors and I'm cracking between... up because I'm looking at it and so like the obviously the island view treatment center for adolescents is permanently closed um they didn't it, like the Huffington Post article it comes up then with elevations RTC uh, residential is, treatment center yes and it's the main picture they have is these kids at a pool table playing pool and they're all laughing I'm like mm, I'm yes sure. <laughs> I'm sure um, Please, I want to go I don't want to skip over your thing but we just talked about it so I feel like we have to mention it the Huffington Post article yes a girl from one of my dear friends she was on my team when I showed up to Island View she was not there she had gone on a home visit um, I believe she was somewhere on the East Coast and on her flight back to Island View she stayed on the plane she did not get off and she basically ran away with this guy that she met on the plane FBI went after her found her she came back they were no good to her um so when she left like she played the part she got out which you have to and she just sucked it up everything they did to her and she went as an adult and she contacted probably many people but one person picked up her story and she asked everyone if they would be willing to do an interview with this person i was not one of them um, I actually avoided the, the article up until two weeks ago after you and I discussed doing this podcast. I was like, I, I had to. I had to dig it up. I had to remember the things that I didn't want to remember. One, for myself, because no matter how successful I am now, like that's still something that I need to work through. But it brought up a lot. Like they, sh Her and the people involved disclosed everything everything from like the white padded rooms that you were locked in to sleeping in the hallway and having staff like fuck with your sleep just because they didn't like you oh god or the isolation from your team members because somebody decided that you smiled at the wrong person or the psg groups where and this is where like the handmaid's tale comes in we're like once a week, every Tuesday, there was a PSG group. It was called Problem Solving Group. And you had to put complaints in a box. Like all week, there was this anonymous box. You wrote on a sticky note or a piece of paper and you dropped it in. They would literally advertise like before bed, hey, there's not enough um, slips in the PSG box. Like you guys need to step it up. Like they wanted you to complain. You need to have more it. problems. Yeah. They wanted you to call people out even if you're making it up and the person's completely innocent and you know it, but everyone would get in trouble if there weren't enough problems in the problem solving box. And then 
on Tuesday mornings, nine o'clock, you would go into your common room, sit in a circle. You all had to bring your chairs from your desk in your room. And the therapists were there and the staff were there and they would call someone out from one of the complaints, if you will. And then you basically went in a circle and everybody just got to shit on you. And you had to admit it. Otherwise you were being avoidant and defiant and you couldn't succeed in the program. Doesn't it seem like they'd be like, oh, wow, we went one week without one problem this week. Right. You would think, especially with girls. Kids would start avoiding issues. But like, yes, but the way they did it, you were creating issues. Again, you're dealing with teenage girls. There were boys and girls. But again, you your team was all your gender. So at this Um, one, were you allowed to interact with boys? Kind of. Like in class, you had your classes were co-ed. And once you got to the higher levels, you would have like game nights, which is probably like that picture that you saw where you could play pool. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called test level. The highest level was test. And you got to go on outings that were co-ed, still with staff. But during your day-to-day passing by in the cafeteria, walking by them in the library or the school hallways, you were not allowed to make eye contact with them. You were not allowed to communicate with them. If you did which I did, it was called SAO, which was sexually acting out. If you said, if you like tried to give a, give somebody a hug or if your friend was crying in group and you touched her shoulder, like consoling her, that was considered sexually acting out and you got everything taken from you. You could only wear the sweatpants and sweatshirt they gave you. And you had to sit in your white chair in the hallway for upwards of like 48 hours to two weeks. And you weren't allowed to talk to anyone, not even staff. You couldn't go to school. Your teachers would send your homework and classwork back to your wing. Yeah. Let me ask you this, and I don't want to be this person, but I'm also just a nosy person. Um, Go for it. Did you ever, during any of your time at these schools, like, did you and girls ever, like, make out or did – girls make out or like it seems like at that age like everyone's so horny and stuff um at cca yes which one's oh copper canyon okay yes um i did and was that common like where girls usually like um like was there like a room you guys would like try to sneak off to and like finger each other or something no mine was (laughs) mine okay for the record i did nothing i just kissed her Okay. all them. Everything else was them. Um, but our place was the cleaning closet under the stairs. And isn't it funny, too, that, like, you probably never would have had... Never. I, mean, I, I can't say for sure, but, like, and you can't say for sure because you don't know, but, like, if you had just been going to normal school and being around normal people, you might have never, ever experimented Experience with a girl. But you were just kind of like, listen, there's nothing yeah. else to do here. There are many girls that came to these schools that were already um lesbians like they had already discovered that about themselves but there are also a handful of girls who were not and to this day some of them have even like gone through the whole change like legally changing their names like gone through surgeries and hormones and stuff oh like they were trans yeah now they are 
But like when they arrived at these schools, I remember one girl specific, I'm still like Facebook social media friends with her. She, she was not a lesbian when she was brought to Copper Canyon. Again, like over the years, we all discover ourselves. Yeah. Maybe Copper Canyon had absolutely nothing to do with it. Maybe it did. Man. But But at Island, whatever, you never... Island view? No. Yeah. No, I passed notes with a girl on another team because she was my friend. And then her bitch ass snitched on me. And um, we were considered, again, nothing sexual, nothing romantic, nothing. She was just my friend. Like, she was a friend. But the fact that we were passing notes, we were considered sexually acting out. God. And we were put on Y, they called it YZ. I don't know why they chose YZ, but they did. And I was on it longer than her. Like I got the harsher punishment because she's the one who snitched. I didn't. Sounds like a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then she tried to like contact me when we got out and I was like, I'm not talking to you. When we were released from prison. (laughs) Precisely. But at that school, I don't know if the boys had it harder or what, but there were more um, situations with the boys' teams. Like, again, someone committed suicide down the hall. That was the second time I had not necessarily witnessed because we weren't allowed down there, but, like, we came back from breakfast and there were all these EMTs there. And we eventually found out what happened. And we knew them because you had groups, like you had PE together. Like you, even though you weren't allowed to conversate with them, like you still knew this person, they were going through what you were going through. And what's so shitty about this whole thing is that's so easily explained away by, well, we're dealing with mentally unstable kids. Yes. It's going to happen. And it's like, no, like, if, if, if what you're doing is supposed to be helping these kids, that shouldn't be happening. I agree. What's interesting, and I didn't realize this until afterwards, because I was living it, they would ostracize the staff members, the staff members that didn't agree with our treatment, with the way that we were being treated, with the dismissal of our issues or the minimizing of our emotions, or the magnitude of our punishments there were some stuff that didn't agree so they wouldn't do it if they didn't think a child needed to be tackled and restrained because she was crying if they felt that a student was locked away in the white room for too long they were punished in their job like they weren't allowed to go on field trips they weren't allowed to associate with the other staff they had to stay with the troublemakers because one of the staff members did did the the Huffington Post interview. And that's where I learned, like, and I love that staff member. He's amazing. But I never knew that he was treated badly too. So it wasn't just directed at us. They did it to their own as well. God. When parents come to visit, does, like, the mood change around there or... Um, at this school, confidentiality was so heavy because they did 
have like well-known families there. I wouldn't say celebrity families, um, but I was also isolated for like four years. So they could have been celebrities. So when your parents came to visit, like they, they locked all the doors and they escorted you and your family to like the visiting rooms or like the designated visiting places. And you had to stay there and visit with your family. And like, would like people who were normally assholes come in and be like, Oh, hi, Mrs. Johnson. How are you? Oh, like like staff. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so, it's so shitty because you're right. Like, yes. Is there a part of me who is irritated with your mother? Absolutely. But if we remember that everyone every day tries to wake up and do the best they can and, Nobody deliberately wants to hurt anybody else. It does suck because probably f- in from her perspective, she's like, oh, this, this place has been so great. Yeah. And if you Again, say, like, no, what you're looking been at- awful, this is the worst thing ever, she's going to be like, yeah. okay, well, you're being, I know, you don't like it, but they're helping you. You exactly. want to just be rebellious. 100%. Like you saw Sedona Sky, that doesn't look like the kind of place I was describing does it no no it looks gorgeous so yeah they would listen to your phone calls you got um one phone call a week depending on your level depended on um how many phone calls you got and the length of your phone calls so like at the lowest level you got one 10 minute phone call a week with your parents which again coming from wilderness and copper canyon that was like luxury I got to talk to my mom once a week for 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. I loved it there. My my question is to these places is like the the end goal and it's it's the same thing that I think about prison and stuff is like the goal is to get you back into society. They do not do that. That's not happening at all. They're teaching like you're not allowed to talk to men or males and okay well that's gonna be awkward like you're now not gonna know how to no I'm not even saying like in a relationship wise like I'm saying like in terms of like having a job like you could have male co-workers that you're going to work with and you're not gonna know how to talk to them because you're like for the past 10 yeah. years I've been told not to talk to men Yeah. And again, it's something I struggle with. Like I struggled for a long time having platonic male friends because I was never taught how to communicate with a male on a friend basis. I only had my trauma because nobody taught you. They don't teach you transition. Mm -hmm. They don't teach you're going from being locked away, isolated, your every decision being made for you, or you're manipulated into making decisions that others want you to do. Sure, let's throw this teenage girl back out there so the world can manipulate her into making the decisions they want to. Pretty sure she's going to end up real healthy. No, no way in heck. Half the people have gone back to drugs or whatever their, their escape was. Luckily, a lot of them have become clean, but right after school, no. A lot of people went back to drugs and their old behaviors because they didn't know how to survive in a high school or those that aged out, they didn't know how to communicate with people in the workplace. Like you said, there was no relationship with, with their family or anyone else because you were taken from them. 
And in order to succeed, you had to do what the program told you to do, which it wasn't realistic. Oh, it's it's so the whole thing is so fucked up. It's I agree. it's not helping anybody. No. And I will say like my emotional maturity and my communication skills when it comes to relationships are far more mature than others my age. It could just be because I'm awesome or it could be because I went through a crap ton of therapy where I learned to communicate with people and I lived with people who had different needs so I learned how to kind of be that for people does that make sense it does make sense and I'm not discrediting what you're saying but part of me wonders if part of that could just be because you've been surrounded by trauma yeah. You had your own trauma, but you've been surrounded by everyone else's trauma. And like at the end of the day, like like I think for myself, I think that I'm very in tune with my feelings, but I also feel like I'm very in tune with other people's feelings, but I think it's just because of the fact that I have so many feelings and mm-hmm. you know, I I process those on a daily basis. I think there's a part of me that could become paralyzed by my own feelings that I don't know how to process them and I don't know how to process other people's. But I think that in your situation, yes, you've done all this therapy and, and yeah, I can talking to, I can tell that you have a very mature way about you when it comes to all these things, but is part of it just because you were overly exposed to everything? Yeah. You know, as, as shitty as it sounds like, I would rather, you know, my kids just maybe be a little bit immature with these types of situations. Less but, robotic. Yeah. But and I, I don't I don't I don't get the vibe from you at all that you're robotic. I think that No, but you, that's how we felt. Like yeah. when girls would go on home visits or when they would come back from like after they graduated and they would come back to visit or as adults when we've all reconnected and we discuss like life after these schools um, because not everybody aged out like I came home right when I turned 17 like you go to school you go to make friends and you're a robot Mm -hmm. because for how many years how many months were you told what to say nobody in the real world in high school in biology class is gonna be like having an I feel statement. I feel this because you pushed me on the way in and I would really appreciate it if you didn't do that again. If you said that to someone in high school, like you would be punched in the face and have no friends. So did you go back to a regular high school after all this? Um, I went to a normal public high school for like half a semester of my junior year. I enlisted in the military. My mom told me like, there's no way you, there's no money and you can't succeed outside of a situation like that. Basically like the military is your only option. And if you're going to live here, cause remember she, the only reason I came home was because people stopped giving her loans. It wasn't because she wanted me home. Mm-hmm. She's like, if you're going to live here, you need to enlist so that you're set for when you graduate basically like you're not going to be living here without me knowing you're getting out again. 
So I went to a regular high school. I enlisted. I did the rest my whole senior year pretty much online and I graduated early because all my credits that transferred from the other states I was kind of ahead of everyone but my online school I did a couple classes like in person I had to go to an alternative school which was for again the troublemaking kids that got kicked out of schools and what's so, so like crazy they were still doing drugs in the bathroom is <sighs> okay I'm, let's be let's be really really blunt about it. You were s- not sneaking out, but you were going out with friends and hanging out with friends. But at the same time, your mom was held that stuff back from you for so long. It doesn't. It's kids don't have the ability to monitor themselves with moderation. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden the door was open to you, you're going to kind of take all of it. The- well, it's like a kid who never had candy, and then you take them to a candy store, they're going to overeat all the candy and get terribly sick. Exactly. And so the one thing that you were doing that your mom thought was bad and you needed help with was the cutting? And she said I was depressed, um, even on antidepressants, which, again, this was way back then. Um, so psych medication was different. Zoloft in particular has been refined since then, but you hear from patients in psych wards and people in in your everyday civilization, a lot of people feel like they're numb and robotic and they feel absolutely nothing when they're on antidepressants. Maybe that's what I was feeling because you put me on them when I didn't need them. That doesn't mean I was depressed because I was numb. Like maybe if she never had put me on it, she wouldn't think I was depressed because I'd be a normal kid. Absolutely. I'm trying to think about it. And after I came home, that's when I started acting out. That's when shit got real. Was because I had never known about drugs. Ever prior to these schools and I hear all these horror stories and witness all these people and their fun stories. And I just learn of all these things that I was so sheltered from. As soon as I got out, I wanted to try them all. Well, and also, I mean, it's literally your childhood all over again. You were sheltered and then all of a sudden your mom gave you free reign and you went to the back of grocery stores and did wild stuff. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're thrown into these schools where you're completely sheltered again and cut off from everything and then it's like you go home and the door's wide open again yeah with zero skills on how to live in real life i just think if my kid which i'm trying to think of a different situation because i've dealt with self-harm but what i want to say is that if my kid was self-harming the last thing i would want to do is have them away from me just because okay. there is that suicidal risk and yeah. everything. And how could you trust, again, as a parent, even like with my own kids and their stepmom, like she's been in their life almost two years and I've grown to really love her, but she's not me. She will never, God forbid, they're ever put in a situation that we've been put in before. She will never like, jump in front of someone to protect my kids Mm -hmm. 
So when your child is struggling, especially with suicide or harming themselves or even like getting access to drugs or they're having a bad night terror, like whatever the situation, no one is you. So how as a parent can you trust that they'll do better than you? That was another thing that was brought up at Island View is they could do these things to us. They could kick our beds. They could lock us in rooms. They could speak however they wanted to us. One, they were the staff. So if we were to tell anyone, like tell our parents, staff would be believed. But two, your parents signed over paperwork saying that they could not necessarily do these specific things, but that they could do what they saw fit. I just, we watched this documentary the other day and it was called like, um, fuck. It was something called like, my son is a killer. And it was about three different families who all have sons who have like very major issues. And one of them, she she was talking about, she's like, I finally, like I had to sign away my parental rights and sign them over to the state. She's like, because, and I can understand that, but that's got to be so incredibly I, difficult. Yes, and I again, I'm not saying that any of these parents that sent their children away it was easy. I would like to hope that it it was just as difficult for them as it was for us. Yeah, but at the same time, but like after uh, after being the the victim, if you will, or being the student, no way in hell would I do that. What's bothering me the most about your story is you didn't, I don't feel like you were doing anything. Agreed. Like I'm all for those kids. Like I love scared straight. I think scared straight is one of the best TV shows of all time. (laughs) These little (laughs) punk ass little fuckers who think they're so great. And like, they get scared by these big men in jail. Like love it. I'm down for that. And it's also a quick thing. It's one day and then they're done. But like, you weren't doing anything. If anything, you were begging for somebody to help you. The therapy helped with my childhood traumas. Yeah. But the programs themselves didn't help me with life, and it sure as heck didn't keep trauma from happening. So, I mean, how good did it really do anyone? Okay, let me ask you this. This is my last question. We've literally been talking for almost three Three hours hours. let's say one day you wake up do you have daughters i do two of them okay let's say you have a daughter and she's 12 years old and she's literally going through the exact same things that you went through what is your course of action i would be there for her And one thing I raise my children to do is they know that they can always talk to me about anything because I didn't have that. My mom was mentally ill. My mom would hide away in closets for days. Like I was feeding my mom. I was taking care of my mom. There was nobody there to take care of me. So for my child, I would be there for her. I would be there with her. I should say, because when someone has told me I'm there for you, it's like I'm having to ask you to step outside your life for me, as opposed to me going through it with my daughter. I think that's 
like you said, you are emotionally very mature. And I think that's like the best thing that you could say and do. And I that's the other thing with you. That one day. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's just that you would say it. I think it's about doing it. Cuz you know, everyone yeah. wants to say they're going to do something and they're going to be there and they're going to do course. that and stuff like that, but your actions don't always show that. And one thing like I guess I hope it makes me a better mother is I know what not to do. Like my mom, I was there for her my childhood. I was there for her in the closet. But then as soon as I showed the slightest bit of struggling, she paid hundreds and thousands of dollars for other people to deal with me. And then when they had to give me back to her, she made sure the military would take care of me, not her. And then when that didn't happen, I went and got married within three months. So someone else would take care of me. And my mom didn't ever make me feel like I was stuck with her. But then when her life fell apart, she asked if she could come live with me. And I straight up told her, no, like you were not there for me. Forgive me for not being there for you. And I refuse to play that role in my own children's life. I'm not, I'm not super good at forgiving. I definitely think that's something I struggle with. And so <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. I don't know if I have necessarily forgiven my mom. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that I do. But then when I actually hear her voice, I don't think I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely understand where she was at. My life is really good. So I lived a really shitty childhood, but you go one of two ways. You either become a really struggling adult or you take that shit and you run with it. And I guess I ran with it. Before I end this episode, I have a lot of things I want to say. And if you care to hear them, then great. Keep listening. And if not, that's cool. I'll see you next week. So I want to go back to that Huffington Post article because it has a shit ton of information in it. So the article was written in 2016 and focuses its attention around one girl, Emily Graber, who in 2007 was a student at Island View. Student is a loose term, I think. And, okay, so... When she was telling the story in the episode about her just staying on the plane, I was like, okay, for sure you didn't get that right. Somehow that's fucking wrong. But it's not. It says that she just stayed in her seat and didn't get up, and eventually the plane took off again, and she found herself in California. I was thinking to myself, that's really fucking weird, but it happens. So if you were questioning that, you're not alone. But that's beside the story. So Emily, she goes to San Francisco. She has none of her luggage with her. And she goes to the pier, because that's all she really knows about San Francisco. And she stays there until she eventually falls asleep, curled up on a bench. And she wakes up the next morning, surrounded by all the other homeless people sleeping on the pier. She was fucking homeless. A 15-year-old girl from Clayton, Missouri would rather be homeless and sleeping on a bench 
surrounded by other homeless people, then returned back to Island View. That should tell you just how awful this place was. But, in case you're a dumbass and blind, let me tell you a little bit more. So, Emily says that during her time at Island View, if she broke even minor rules, she would be isolated for days, forbidden from speaking, and forced to sleep on a mattress in a hallway where the fucking fluorescent lights would keep her awake for hours, and she would just cry. And eventually, she'd be so tired from crying that she would pass out. I cannot sleep with the lights on, yet alone those awful fluorescent lights, like, at a school. That's fucked up. And, you know, I always say to myself, it's like golden rule, you know, I think the number one solution to fix a troublemaker is to sleep deprive them. Obviously, like golden rule of parenting. <sighs> and okay, that former staff member that the girl in our interview referred to was Vlad Diaz. And he is quoted as saying, they were treated like crap. I wouldn't treat a dog like that. He's talking about human beings, not just human beings. He's talking about troubled kids who are here trying to get better. And he says, as somebody who worked there, they were treated like crap. That's fucked up. And then there's another former student of Island View uh, named Xander Niazi. And Xander spent a lot of his life from starting at 12 years old in and out of these different like treatment facilities. And he was there for his depression and anger issues. Now, if my parents had wanted to, I probably would have qualified for these places. Like, I know that there were kids in there for serious drug problems, and I'm sure a lot of kids were taken to these places to avoid punishment for crimes and shit like that. But this kid was in and out of these prison camps for depression and anger issues. And what sucks is, like, I know that their parents think that these places are good for them. This is the answer to all of their prayers. And I'm not putting blame on their parents. But these facilities failed. Big time. It, it makes me angry. Like, oh, you're depressed and angry. Here, let's strip you of all your freedom and treat you like shit. Maybe then you'll see how good life was before this. Like, that's not how it works. And I will tell you right now, if this had happened to me when I was really struggling with my depression, I guarantee you, I would not have just had a suicide attempt. I would have killed myself. I'm not saying that to be funny. I would be dead. And so when Xander is talking about his experience at Island View, he says that, you know, because he had been to so many different facilities, this was the only one that, like, when you got there, 
They stripped him completely naked. He make they make you spin around and squat and cough in front of a bunch of grown men. That's like prison shit. This is not a prison. This is not a juvenile detention center. This is a treatment facility. And then you're going to tell me that you bring this guy in who is struggling with depression and you're making him be naked in front of a whole bunch of other grown men and like what fucking spread his butt cheeks. Like that does not seem like initial intro into the school. Like, Oh, perfect. This will really boost his self-esteem. She's going to boost that depression right out of him, buddy. No. And then he talks about like he had piercings and they ordered him to remove his piercings. He refused. And so they pin him down. They restrain him and they physically removed him and they tore his flesh open. And to this day, he says that he still has scars from it. Um, Another former student recounts that going outside was a special privilege only allowed to those students of certain ranks. But unfortunately for him, he never reached any of those ranks. So he just never went outside during his entire time there. And I think about like all of these armchair expert therapists on Instagram, you know, like, Hey guys, I'm going to post motivational quotes more. Cause I just want you guys to like, really like find yourselves and like be happy. First thing those bitches are telling you, get up, get some fresh air, get in the sun. Your life will be exponentially better. He didn't get to fucking go outside. He's not in prison. He did not kill somebody. He is a teenager going through some shit. And they're like, you know what's going to sound great for him? Keep him locked away. I think that'll do wonders. Like, I don't fucking get it. And there's, there's, there's going to be a link in the show notes for a link to this article so that you guys can read it because there's so much... I can't go into all of it, but there's like stories of, you know, them being restrained and tackled and arms that were like pulled so tight they were almost broken. And there's a story of an arm that was broken. And okay, there's a study that they talk about. So in 2005 alone, at least 1,500 children in 30 different states allege that they were abused at private treatment facilities. And at least 28 states had one or more deaths in residential treatment facilities that year. Which, I don't know who's making this argument, but I know some fucker out there is listening to this and being like, well, well, uh, it's a room full of suicidal kids. I'm sure one's going to slip through the cracks here and there. No, if your process works, kids are not killing themselves there. You are where they are supposed to be getting help. Their parents are scared of them killing themselves, and so they bring them to you because you are supposed to be an expert. Like, think about that. And here's the other really shitty part about that statistic of the 1,500 children is the Government Accountability Office is the one who does these reports. They believe that that number is actually 
a lot higher than 1,500 because a lot of teenage victims of abuse, they stay silent out of fear and this mistrust of authority or just simple ignorance. And you might be asking yourself, hey, buddy, it's 2019. Why are we referencing a 2005 study? Because, believe it or not, the federal government doesn't track allegations of abuse at treatment centers, let alone investigate them or close down problem facilities. They get shut down from the lawsuits brought on by parents. It's not the government stepping in being like, hey, I don't think what you're doing is right here. They don't give a fuck. Because do you know how much it costs to put your kid through one month at a place like Island View? It is at least $10,000 a month. These treatment centers are fucking cash cows for states. They're happy to look the other way. Oh, and... Did you know that President Barack Obama banned solitary confinement for juveniles in federal prison? But it is permitted at many of these private treatment centers. Like, let's make sure we're not doing it any of the things that the government's involved in, but private treatment centers, no biggie. And... Here is the shittiest part about all of this. Who is going to believe a troubled teen over the staff? No one. No one's going to fucking believe these kids because these kids have been liars in the past. They have tried everything to get out of trouble. So when they finally come forward... No one's going to believe them. And I know that some of you are thinking, you know, we don't know why all of these kids are sent here. But it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter if they were, you know, into drugs or, you know, into a life of crime or whatever the fuck it is. They are young, impressionable minds. And they have an opportunity to really turn their lives around, to truly be helped. And these places just fuck them over. These kids are not lost causes. Kids don't just wake up one day and decide to be bad. Shit happens to kids. And it's, it's fucking sad. It's sad to think of how many kids' lives could have been turned around at these treatment centers and how many of them were just directed down an even worse path that they might have not gone down without going to these treatment facilities. With Emily, the girl who stayed on the plane and found herself in California. After she left Island View, she spent the next two years addicted to heroin, which is not what she originally went to Island View for. And to this day, 
it's incredibly difficult for her to get a job because every time, you know, they do a background check, it comes up that she was this missing person and it brings up this, you know, whole conversation of trying to explain her past. And it's like, it, it just fucking sucks. And I'm, I'm pissed about it. Cause I've been one of these kids. I self-harmed and I was suicidal and still to this day, I struggle with my depression. This is not the way to treat any of those things. And I'm frustrated for the parents who thought that they were doing the right thing to help their kids, but they ended up here because their kids we're not helped. So yeah, that's where I'm at. This was not on my radar before talking to her, and I just feel very passionate about it now. So I felt like I needed to get all of that off my chest. So for everyone who stayed and listened, thank you. And hopefully we can do something about this. Like hopefully there's a way to help these kids who are in need and who do need a place that can help them, but not like this. Thank you guys for listening. I will see all of you next week. Everybody has a secret. <laughs>